Father God, we we again come to you not always feeling boldness in our spirits, but you've asked us to come boldly. And so we come, we do. We do come boldly, uh, casting off the cares of this world, boldly to you, Heavenly Father, that we might find mercy and grace in time of need and, and be comforted regarding our many circumstances and those of our friends and family and and others we have been introduced to and gotten to know and have had opportunity to witness and share with. Father, we just are so thankful for how you work all things together for our good because we love you and are the called according to your great purpose under grace. What a wonderful thing to learn of and to to grow in this uh, knowledge of how you are working today how it's all based uh, all your work today is based on the finished work of our precious savior and his uh, giving up of himself freely uh, on the cross of calvary and dying shedding his own blood for our sins and the sins of the world father and then gloriously raising him from the dead that we might be declared righteous in him. Father, thank you so much for the blessings of the gospel and the truth of redemption and our wonderful salvation by grace through faith. Thank you again, Father, for drawing us when we were not aware of these things. So many are not aware and they go on living lives that which surely are without hope and with quiet desperation, as some authors have written famously. But, Father, we are lights in the darkness, and we are a witness. And so, Father, I pray that that witness would be strong, that we would accept our responsibility and the privilege of testifying to others so that they might know our precious Lord Jesus, whom you've blessed us with now these years. Father, there are many things to be thankful for. Some have been reported here, the way you care for us uh, daily and prosper us even in this life, even even uh, with the abundance that we've enjoyed. And uh, in this country, so many of those abundances have been uh, received by so many and much thanksgiving, Father, goes up to you, but but not enough, I'm sure. We're thankful for the perfect design that you've built into us, that we might live in a sin-cursed world and still, uh, in many ways, live above the effects of it because of your great design and the way you've worked uh, our beings physically in such a way that we endure the attacks of the enemy often so well. Thank you for blessing us also with minds that are capable to face the challenges day by day and hour by hour. And we're thankful for clear minds able to function well, but not all have that. And as has been reported here, there are many unspoken requests, and Father, you know them perfectly, of course, so we, though they're unspoken here, uh, you know the needs of your people. 
and to know them well and are they're working at great glory through them. Um, thankful that uh, you've given us understanding of the conditions in our world and in our country that we might not be drawn aside by the lies of the enemy, but might focus well and clearly in our minds and in our hearts, looking at the many blessings you do provide here in this life and learning how to live in a responsible way and in a wise way to enjoy all of these blessings, even when the food supply is challenged and even when uh, health and safety uh, seem to be threatened on every side, and increasingly so. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank you that you're working all things together for our good. Well, Father, as we open your word I pray, Father, for our blessing here this morning. In Christ's name, amen. We have a great privilege today to finish up our studies in Genesis and then how all of these wonderful truths presented there have so influenced ourselves personally and also the apostle paul of course who so often refers to genesis and so he goes far beyond it but he bases much understanding on what's written there taking those statements very literally and uh, looking at the example of those that have gone before there as recorded in that great book um last time we we considered jacob Paul and ourselves, how we've been marked and what our testimony is. And I'm not going to say too much about it because I want to get on directly to our study for today. But hopefully if, if you weren't here or if you, you might go back and, and study the handout that's available there on libertymessenger.org for last time, where we looked uh, at Jacob in particular and then how Paul uh, himself was marked. They were both marked by God, and that was the foundation for their testimony, of course, as such a thing always must be, right? I mean, if God has marked us, called us and marked us, uh, how can we not testify boldly, right? At least we sure should. And uh, it seems difficult sometimes to do that, to be but that bold and that transparent, because, of course, it opens us up to all kinds of attack, we become very vulnerable. I mean, think, think of Jacob in his life, marked by God, after having wrestled with the, the Lord and then marked uh, in his body so that he could not walk without the help of his staff. But as a sh shepherd, of course, walking is the order of the day. So he's uh, marked for life. And that becomes a very central part of his testimony. And in fact, maybe the greatest part of it, because that's what's mentioned uh, there in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21 about Jacob. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. And that had become the sign uh, of the work of God in this frail being who even had his name changed from basically 
thief <laughs> in the Hebrew, to prince. And it was a merciful sort of thing indeed, was it not? And instead of the Lord judging Jacob for his arrogance, demanding a blessing so often, right? Instead, he blesses him greatly, but uh, the great glory would come through suffering. And so we saw how that was revealed there so much last time, looking at Jacob again and his mark of testimony. And then we spent even more time looking at uh, the Apostle Paul and how he was marked by God. And, uh, <laughs> oh my, marked indeed, I mean, drawn into suffering for the members of Christ's body and even being delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in his mortal flesh. So Paul was marked, and that was um, at the heart of his testimony. He says the same is true for us, that we also are drawn into the same realm of blessing that Paul was, but through suffering, as, as he wrote there in Philippians chapter 1, he says in verse 29, For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And I think we are learning about that daily as believers today, living under grace and its abundance. We're not being delivered from everything that comes our way because we've been so righteous, so moral, so perfect in our lives. And because that's not how God is working. He's rather using our trials to provide an evidence for others concerning his operations and in and through us, his empowering us of us, his comforting of us in times of difficulty and great trial, right? And how we then testify to others concerning his great blessing. Instead of being fearful for the future, we rest, right? He enables us, he encourages us in so many ways. And so the scriptures are given, of course, to us, not only for our salvation, that, uh, you know, they are the power of God unto salvation, but the gospel itself, the good news, is the power of God unto salvation, right? God's power is communicating through those words uh, to us that we might be saved, but also that we might be encouraged and strengthened in this life. The power of God unto sanctification is found in these words written here by Paul to members of the body. So in Philippians, we see it's given as a grace gift to us for Christ's sake. And uh, Paul writes about that in other places very powerfully, doesn't he? Um, in Colossians and elsewhere. We looked at that last time. And I find that these scriptures are totally transforming. I mean, as, as we meditate on them and take them to heart and learn how of how God is working today, because that is the big question. What is God doing today? How is God working, right? And how are we a part of it? And as we learn of him 
and experience his blessing, we are then marked and uh, given a testimony. Okay, so that's enough for now um, of what we looked at last time. Except for one thing, remember, Paul writes about that mark upon him very directly in the last verses in Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, verses 17 and 18 say this, From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of my enemies. No, the marks of the Lord Jesus. Oh, so Paul could look beyond <laughs> the scars from stonings and shipwreck and all of this to see the hand of the Lord upon him. That's what changed his life, to, to see and to know that with great confidence, that the Lord was working through him to glorify himself. And so the great question is, what mark has the Lord left on us? And uh, so today, the subject is the glory and its reward. And there are two pieces to this. One has to do with Israel and the other has to do with us. The first is about Israel's glorious but earthly inheritance was promised and confirmed. Israel's glorious but earthly inheritance promised and confirmed. And the second part, the main focus today, will be our glorious but heavenly inheritance promised and confirmed. Our glorious heavenly inheritance. Not earthly, but heavenly inheritance promised and confirmed. So, first of all, Israel's glorious but earthly inheritance, promised and confirmed. So, as you know, because we've already looked at all of these things, and all we're doing today really is coordinating all of that with a special focus on the glory promised by God for his people, right? For Israel, an earthly inheritance. And that goes all the way back to the first promises given to Abraham. But a little later, some years later, Abraham, after having received promises concerning a son that would be given in due time, and through that son, uh, other generations would come, even a great nation ultimately. And land it was always... Uh, underlying it all, a land implication. Finally, land promises very directly were given. And I'd just like you to see one of them. This land will be on this earth, and God has not yet fulfilled that promise. But I'd like you to, to see what's written in Genesis chapter 15. I've asked Lewis to read for us there. But to introduce what Lewis will read, let me just say this. Abraham is concerned there's been no son yet given and some great time has passed from when the promise was given originally concerning a son, right? And so he doesn't have a son. 
from Sarah, and uh, he's very concerned, and he asks uh, the Lord God about it, and the Lord speaks to him and says, this is Genesis 15, 13. He's speaking to him in a dream state, which is very interesting. Uh, Abraham is in a dream when the Lord is speaking to him. He says, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. So there's a prophecy of uh, what will happen ultimately in Egypt, right? They'll be afflicted in a strange land. (laughs) Okay. And also that nation whom they serve will I judge. And afterward shall they come out with great substance. And thou shalt go to thy fathers in peace. Thou shalt be buried in a good old age. Okay. And then, Lewis, if you'd read for us, this is the most amazing part of all here in this uh, promise God gives to Abraham while he's in a dream state. In Genesis 15, verses 17 through 21, all about the land uh, promise. Lewis? And it came to pass that when the sun went down and it was dark, behold, a smoking furnace and a burning land that passed between those pieces. In the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land, from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kani and Kenazi and Kamoni and the Heti and Perazi and Raphael and the Emory and the Kenanani and the Girgashi and Chibusi. Thank you, Lewis. So a great land was promised. What Abraham had done was to set up for sacrifice. He had placed the animals there uh, on the altar, but then fell asleep. And uh, the Lord God himself um, took the animals as an offering, a burning offering. And it says the Lord God made a covenant with Abraham, but he's asleep. And. So it is, right? And you see the scope of this is so great. It goes all the way from the river Euphrates. Currently, we find that in Iran, right? All the way over to the river Nile in Egypt. That is a very long distance indeed. That is the land that God has promised to Abram and his descendants, okay? So we see no evidence any time in history that God completed that promise and fulfilled it in no way. In fact, ultimately, the Jews were driven out of the land and find it that way today, except for some that have returned, right? And they live in a very small portion of this land, but God will fulfill that promise that he made perfectly someday so in the light of that and we looked at some of these verses before and i'm not going over them again now but in the light of that when the patriarchs died 
they uh, were either buried in the land because that's where they died in the land of promise. That's true for Abraham and for Isaac. Jacob had come to Egypt. You remember he died in Egypt, but he asked that his bones be taken back to the promised land, right? Why? Because he's looking forward to the fulfillment of these promises, right? So his bones were taken back there because Joseph was co-regent in Egypt at the time, and they arranged for a great uh, uh, caravan to take uh, the bones of the body of of, uh, Jacob back to bury it in the ancestral burial ground there. And uh, so it was. But then what about all of of, uh, Jacob's sons? Twelve sons. What about Joseph, right? What about the others, right? And I took you to Exodus and to Acts to see that all of those bones were also taken to the promised land. Much later, Moses carried with him, this is now 400 and some years later, after those patriarchs had all died, right? Um, he carried the bones in the Exodus into the promised land, ultimately. And Joshua took them over the river when the time came, okay? When they re-entered the land. So we find that in uh, Exodus 13, 19, Acts chapter 7, and in Joshua chapter 24. So what an amazing thing. So all of these patriarchs died with a resurrection hope, and their desire was to be raised again in the promised land to receive their 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 inheritance, right? Because their inheritance involved the land of promise. That's glorious, but it's earthly, right? An earthly inheritance. But what about us? Our inheritance is not earthly. It's promised to be heavenly. And uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, he was the one that brought the revelation to uh, the members of the body of Christ. The 12 were sent off to the Jews. Remember that? Read Galatians chapters 1 and 2 to see that. There was an agreement. Peter and the others of the 12, they went to Israel and the Jews. Paul was the apostle of the Gentiles, and he went out on his missionary journeys and founded the churches, right? Okay, so uh, that's what we read there. So Paul does not reveal anywhere concerning an earthly uh, eternal hope for the members of the body of Christ. He certainly writes a lot about the heavenly inheritance. And you remember um, verses, so wonderful, really. Uh, uh, We looked at them before, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we read of uh, how God is working today under grace. And uh, in 2 Corinthians 4, Uh, Starting in verse 11, he says, We that live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake. 
So you're going to need to turn there in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 so you, you can focus in on what is written there. We which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. You see that the one for the sake of the other, the one leads to the other. You don't have the other without what leads to it according to the plan of God and the work of God under grace. So we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh so that others can actually see the work of the Lord in us. So verse 12 summarizes it that way. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. So that's how others come to know. They they notice that we're marked by God and testify accordingly of his abundant grace. And so he writes of that as he goes on here. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. <laughs> Our testimonies are absolutely critical for the working of Almighty God today. And then he goes on, knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. This is looking forward to the rapture, okay? Catching up into glory when God fulfills uh, our heavenly hope, right? Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Paul is talking about being joined together with us, with you and me. Wow, what an amazing thing here. And then verse 5, for if you can see it that way, that the end point is to be joined together there in heavenly glory, right? Then you can agree with what he writes in verse 15. For all things are for your sakes. This is how God's working under grace. That's what he says, that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. So when you see the plan uh, from the end point and then look at your own circumstances, right? Being delivered into death for Jesus' sake, right? Then you can understand how God is working today through abundant grace. So he says that the abundant grace might, through the thanksgiving of many, redound to the glory of God. And so therefore we don't faint. He says, for which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. And then these wonderful verses, 17 and 18. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Eternal. So that's how we should see our circumstances as uh, being worked by Almighty God. Remember, Paul wrote in Romans, all things work together for good to them that are the called. Uh, you know, um, love God and are the called according to his purpose, right? Yeah, oh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. So these words are given to us 
for our encouragement, uh, and they are powerful, and they've transformed my life, and I'm sure they're transforming yours as well. Uh, verse 18 in Romans 8 puts it in this fashion. Um, this is an amazing statement, verse 18 in Romans 8. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Oh my, think think ahead. Think when we're caught up into heaven's glory and how God is revealing here, but even more then, to the entire creation, to the whole angelic host, to uh, everything in the heavenlies, right? And to all those that have gone before, right? The glory of the work of our Lord Jesus Christ in and through us, right? The glory which shall be revealed in us. The sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with that great glory. Oh, my, 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 my. Well, there's much that could be said about that in contrast, contrast to earthly glories that have been promised to the saints of old, right, of Israel and that whole uh, work of God. Um, but God sets forth for us an expectation. And uh, I'd like uh, Linda to read that for us because this is this is the promise concerning the rapture, right? So, yes, in this life you will have suffering. In fact, it is given unto you not only to believe, but also to suffer for his sake, right? But there's an expectation, right, that we must have to live above the affairs of this world. That expectation is that we'll hear the call and the voice and the shout of an archangel and the trumpet and be caught up into heaven's glory. So, Linda, read that for us, please. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. But we would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them that fall asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also that have fallen asleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we that are alive, that are left unto the coming of the Lord, shall in no wise precede them that have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we that are alive, that are left, shall together with them be caught up in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we be, and shall, shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Amen. Thanks. Thank you, Linda. So we'll be caught up together with the other members of the body of Christ who've gone before, right? Uh, they'll have already at that point received their resurrection bodies, and we will be caught up together with them. And if we st are still alive at the uh, call into heaven's glory, we'll then be translated We'll go from this body to a glorified body in a moment's time, okay? 
Okay, so we'll all be together. That's our hope. And uh, that will occur, of course, before the tribulation begins, because when the whole church is caught up out of this world, what's left, everything will be set for the seven-year tribulation period. Okay? This is in no way what's described concerning Israel in Matthew 24 and 25 and Mark 13, where you see there that the Jews in the tribulation period who were saved will uh, receive their inheritance at the end when they're welcomed into the kingdom, those that uh, uh, survive and are not martyred, that is, those who endure to the end, right? Many will be martyred, of course. And those that are still alive will enter into the millennial kingdom, which be because that's what was promised, right? The kingdom on earth is what their their hope was for. Okay. Well, there's more, much more Paul writes to encourage us saints living today under grace. And I'd like Anne to read a couple of uh, three verses there. First Thessalonians chapter five, verses nine through eleven. Anne. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Thank you, Anne. So we see that in all these teachings, Paul offers comfort, not fear and providing for uh, a long endurance to the end, such as you find in Matthew and Mark and Luke and so forth, but but comfort, because the next thing in the prophetic calendar for us is a calling into heaven's glory. Uh, Paul writes about it uh, in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, and uh, at the end of that section, verse 17, comfort your hearts. Just before that, he says, Now our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. That's where we live today, under grace. Comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So much spiritual food here. Uh, there's so many other verses. Uh, I, I pray and hope that you'll take the, uh, the the handouts off the libertymessenger.org where I give a lot of other verses beyond what we have time to read here this morning. But we do have time to read from Colossians. It's all summarized right here. <laughs> Patty, would you please read for us Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Oh, thank you. So... We're already spiritually sitting at the right hand of God in Christ Jesus, right? So he says, 
since you're already risen with Christ, live like that. Seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God, right? Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. See, the way we are seen from God's point of view is already at his right hand, because we are in Christ Jesus, identified in him, right? And our life is the life of Christ, and that will be made manifest uh, eventually when we're caught up into heaven's glory. Uh, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And I think there's even a sense in which that's true today. When it is revealed through our testimony uh, that Christ is our life, then uh, others can see us as we truly are, as God sees us, right? When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, shall be manifested, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. And then there are these two great scriptures. Uh, I'm going to have Sarah read one of them and Lydia another, but uh, and that's how we'll end our studies today. But uh, in Titus chapter 2, Sarah, would you read for us, please, uh, verses 11 through 15. For the grace of God hath appeared to all men, teaching us that dying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a particular people of zealous good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. Thank you, Sarah, so much for reading those great verses. Oh, I love those. They're so transforming and have been for for us here for so many years. The grace of God is what teaches us. It's not the law of Moses, you see. It's the grace of God that teaches us. <laughs> you can be very religious by being taught by Moses' law, but uh, to be taught spiritually at must be his grace that teaches us. Okay, and then uh, this amazing uh, verse here, I'd like Lydia to read 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. Lydia? Therefore I endure all things for the, for the elect's sakes, that they may also obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Thank you, Lydia. I'm going to read it again. That's so wonderful. I love to read this and hear it read. Therefore, I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Glory, glory, glory. Oh, my. Paul finished uh, finished his uh, his ministry. Finished writing the letter from which Lydia just read there, Second Timothy. It's the last thing that Paul wrote before his martyrdom. And at the end of that chapter, uh, he writes uh, these words, the end of chapter 4. He says, I am ready to be offered 
Actually, I have to start the verse earlier. Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry, for I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, and not for me only, but not for me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. His appearing is the rapture, the blessed hope, the catching up into heaven's glory, right? The next thing on our spiritual calendar. And he says there's laid up a crown of righteousness for all those that love his appearing. And then skipping down to verse 18, we see how confident the Apostle Paul is. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. His heavenly kingdom. Paul finished well with a great hope that was never diminished by any of the trials, any of the tribulations that came to him, any of the sufferings in this life, because he saw the hand of the Lord was upon him always, right? If we're intimately connected to Christ, then when he suffers, we do. When he rejoices, we do. Same with the other way around. When we suffer, he does. And when we rejoice, he does. Uh, that link, that intimate uh, fellowship between us ensures that grace will be manifested in and through us in this life. Because that's what God is doing today through Christ today. It's manifesting forth his abundant grace. So all these verses have been so encouraging to me. Hopefully they are to you as well and are transforming to our lives. May we never forget them. Israel has a hope yet future, right? It was promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They never faltered in their faith uh, and looked for God to fulfill those earthly promises. We look for God to fulfill our heavenly promises. Amen? Amen. Amen. I hope we all know that so well that we'll never forget it. No matter what the circumstances are here in this life, because as Paul wrote, all things are for you. God is focusing everything on his church today. That's us. We're the lights. If we should burn our lights brightly, others may see. They will pierce the darkness powerfully and sufficiently for the work of God to be accomplished, right? So praise God. What a wonderful, what a wonderful uh, time we've had here in Genesis. And uh, next time, Lord willing, going on to Paul's letter to the believers in Colossae, one of his greatest letters of all, the letter to the Colossians. 
Well, I pray that these verses make a difference for you as they have for, for us here. Praise God. Oh, any questions uh, or comments before we close today in prayer? These verses are powerful, aren't they? Mm-hmm. And transforming. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you, thank you. What a blessing. What a blessing to know our future is mapped out by you. You have called us out of a lost humanity, out of a world of sin and shame, and drawn us by your great power, by the realm of your uh, power and grace into an inheritance that's heavenly and eternal. And thank you that you're working all things together for our good. And we're so thankful, Father, that at every uh, station in life, even every moment, we can and should know that your good hand rests upon us. Why? Because you're intimately bound to us and us to you, through our Lord Jesus. So, Father, thank you again, and uh, may we never forget these truths that are so transforming and give us the foundation to stand on of a hope that's eternal. So, Father, again, I thank you and praise you in Christ's precious and holy name and amen.